It's time for the latest local, regional, and national sports topics of the day. It's the Sports Fan, presented by J&K Contracting. Ready? Now, from the WATH studios, here's Lucas Moore. Yeah, Sports Fan 970 WATH 97.1 FM. Big welcome into the show. Another week, and we are off and running. Tyler Corbett back on the show on this Monday. He was here last Monday. We got to talk high school football, among a bunch of other things. And it was a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun. So we decided to have him back, and he's going to be back every day. He technically works here. So uh, what's up, Tyler? Hey, what's up, Lucas? Another Monday, another sports fan. And just feeling like it's going to be another great show. Pretty excited to get started. All right, so let's start with Megs because this is what what is happening when the Reds kick off at 640. We'll talk a little bit of Cincinnati Reds. Later, we'll fit in some Bobcats conversation that I want to get into. But first, I want to talk about the Megs Marauders. That's that's where we're going to start uh, the beginning of our show. And the reason we want to talk about the Megs Marauders is because of where we are headed to after the show. Right at 640, you and I are going to head down to Pomeroy real quick. Scoot on down there. And we'll have an opportunity to see the back end of practice, have a conversation with new head coach David Tennant and a few of the players. It'll be our first look at any of these TVC Ohio teams. We said we were going to get to practices, and today we are making that commitment. We are doing so. And the reason I wanted to talk Megs, because I want to say, hey, what are we looking for heading in to this practice? I think gut, like knee-jerk reaction is who are his receivers? Who are his receivers? Who's Coulter getting the ball to? But I think... We also need to look at, you know, how does this defense look? Because Megs, we've known every single year, they can put points on the board. They just oftentimes give up even more. So how's this defense going to look? You know, they lost a lot, lost a lot of weapons on offense and lost a lot of, you know, big guys on defense. So how is this entire cohesive unit going to not get outscored every week? Yeah, who's running the ball for Megs? That's going to be a big question. You have who's going to catch the ball on the outside. You know Weston Bear is going to be there, but how are the other uh, weapons really going to fill out? You thought that Ty Bartram would be a really young, effective receiver in this offense. Obviously, he's moved to Philadelphia along with his father. One thing I want to see is how does David Tennant coach? Because I think that a big problem when we look back at what the Megs Marauders were is they were perhaps a team that was overcoached in some ways, by an NFL coach. And you've seen problems with this. With great players at all levels, try to coach. It sometimes doesn't work out. Just because you're a great player doesn't necessarily mean that you're a great coach. Because a great player will say to a player they're trying to coach, well, why don't you just do this? That's something that the great player was easily capable of doing, but they just don't understand that they have to explain this drill in a different way. Explain this footwork in a different way. And maybe, obviously I don't know this, maybe Mike Bartram couldn't explain some of the simple things as well as some of the complex things that he did put into make system. Maybe a little bit of simplification. Maybe a, a, a going back to the fundamentals approach for the Megs Marauders. And if that's what David Tennant is bringing, I think the simplicity could help this make team. Maybe less complicated schemes, less complicated blocking systems could help out the Megs Marauders. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I I was never in the huddle with Mike Bartram to know exactly what was going on. I wasn't at daily practices, but, you know, there is a chance that, as you alluded to, a guy with such skill, such experience, such, and, you know, played in a Super Bowl, it might be hard for him to then 
draw it all back and well, explain it all to a high school. And I've heard that when he has coached, had the opportunity to coach at All-Star Games, that he tries to teach a lot of NFL blocking techniques, which are really complicated. So you can assume that that is carrying over to what he's coaching the Megs Marauders kids. Um, that is that a bad thing? I don't know. That's for you to decide. Because in my opinion, that can be a little bit of a bad thing. You put too much complicatedness, if that's even a word. Yeah. Put too much complicatedness into a system, it makes it so hard for the kid to understand that they can't execute the fundamentals. And, you know, what I was always told when I was an athlete was just do ordinary things extraordinarily well. And there are times where I think Megs was trying to be too cute, try and throw too many things out there when it was just, you know, run the ball for four yards. Don't overcomplicate what you're doing. Strip it down. It's high school football. You're not playing against an NFL defensive coordinator. Yeah, and when, if you go to Gloucester and you ask those kids, they're not using these intensely NFL blocking mechanics and these your foot needs to make sure you make sure your plant your right foot is planted here so that you can take a back pedal and then take a turn they're teaching those fundamentals and these are things that I don't know about in terms of blocking there's a lot of nuances to blocking that I just do not know but in Trimble it's basically what I've been told is just hit the guy in front of you man blocking blocking and sometimes when you're playing in this area when the teams you're playing aren't necessarily going to bring these heavy hitter linemen, you're not going to face the gauntlet that you would face in college or the NFL, that maybe sometimes the best advice is, is to teach the simplest thing. For a kid that's six foot one, 205, is never going to play offensive line beyond where he's at right now. Maybe the best piece of advice is just tell him to block the man in front of him and not worry about the nuances of footwork and hand placement and... All those things that can come along with being an offensive lineman, I think it might be more effective for Megs to just say, hey, block the guy in front of you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, this season for sure is going to teach us a lot about Mike Bartram versus or his style and his abilities. Well, it's going to teach us a lot about Mike Bartram because if Megs comes out with losing some weapons on the offensive side, now granted, Coulter is a year better, and I think that they as a team are going to be as good, if not better, than last year. If they take a jump this season... That's going to look back on Mike Bartram's legacy because then you're going to sit back and say, wow, the team took a jump. They were 33-37 and 37 under his tenure. They never made the playoffs. In their best season, they finished second in the conference at 7-3 and three and could only put up 14 points against Joe Burrow in Athens in that game against the first-place team in the conference. That would be Mike Bartram's legacy. And then he's an NFL coach. And that, that might not be the best thing if you're a Mike Bartram lover. I mean, obviously he's off in Philadelphia now, but that's not a good look, right? That's not a good look for the legacy of Mike Bartram at Megs if David Tennant comes and succeeds. Now, I'm sure Bartram is wishing the best to David Tennant. He hopes he goes 9-1 and wins the DVC. But it wouldn't be good for his legacy. Yeah, but at the end of the day, he's a Pomeroy guy, and if his legacy gets shattered this season and Megs wins the conference, the happiest person in the world is going to be Mike Bartram. I think David Tennant. Uh, David Tennant might be a little happier. I think all the players of the team probably a little happier. 20th, 30th happiest. <laughs> you know, like forty eh, fifth. A little happiest. hyperbole there. <laughs> but Mike Bartram, at the same time, we wish him the best of luck in Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think Coulter Cleland's ceiling is this year? Is it TVC Ohio Player of the Year? Yes, yes, absolutely. He has a TVC Ohio Player of the Year ceiling. And last year, you know, the argument could have been made that he should have been in that conversation too. You know, he did have better numbers than Clay Davis through the air, and. Coulter, at the same time, you know, can't drive a car, but can drop 2,000 yards on, you know, good level competition. And, you know, keep in mind, we're going to really figure out how good Coulter is in the non-conference because Megs, as usual, 
just always puts themselves through a gauntlet. And they're going to test him early and often, and we're going to learn a lot about him. But as a 14-year-old kid, if you can throw for 2,000 yards, every year you deserve to be one of the top two preseason favorites for player of the year. Yeah, I think he's right up there. I think him, Joey Moore, Keegan Wilburn are the three that should be highlighting your list. Um, and I think with Vinton County, you have Braylon Dammer, the quarterback, but how much are they going to throw the ball? It becomes a question mark there. You think Logan Baker can carry the ball for them. Then you start to toss in guys like R.J. Kemp for Wellston, Ryland Mullahan. And if you fall to River Valley, it kind of is, unless they have a great athlete coming up, you don't think anybody from there is going to win the TVC Ohio Player of the Year. That's the crazy thing about high school. And that's why I'm excited to get to these practices, though. You don't know which kid was five foot six last year, a buck twenty. And had a six-inch growth spurt and really hit the weight room. Now he's six foot two hundred, right? You don't know who that kid is. That happens in high school. It's crazy how these kids grow. So there really could be a team out there. We don't know which one. That we've underrated their roster. We've looked at what they had last year. We've underrated the work the kids did in the weight room. We've underrated growth spurts, which are hard to impossible to predict. Um, As commentators... And some team could shock the world. That's the great thing about high school sports. Yeah, exactly. You know, nothing is certain. And I think Wellston is one of those teams that maybe we're overlooking. I'm worried about their numbers, though. Only 22 showed up. Last I heard. Now, hopefully they get those numbers up. 22 is not good math, people, for running a football team. 22 is not good math. Um, They're not going to win the TVC Ohio or even come close with just 22. Um, especially with nobody significant beyond R.J. Kemp and Ryland Mullahan. I like Jonathan Garvin, too, but outside of those three, nobody significant returning. Those type of numbers would worry me. Um, Alexander, Eric Dean, they lose some weapons on the outside. I'm just still excited for this conference this year, but I'm hearing I'm starting to become more and more confident in Nelson York and Athens as the top two teams in this conference because I'm hearing a lot of amazing things from Athens in their training camp. I can't wait to see them at practice going there Wednesday. Nelson York to me, it's just the math and the writing is on the wall. 18 to 22 starters returning, best player, best coach. They should win the conference, and if they don't, there was a real disappointment somewhere. Um, or Athens was way better than we all thought. That is something that could really be a possibility. Athens could run through this conference again. If they have that program set yeah. up. And I think the last few years, I think every single year since, you know, Joey Burrow's senior year, we've said this conference is wide open. This conference is wide open. And every single year, a last different year school. Last year we didn't. I think last, last year, year was pretty. We tried to say it was open, but it was pretty clear. I don't know where you were saying race. that. I was saying unanimous Athens all season long. But that's mm-hmm. just me. Yeah. That's just me. I don't know. I like Maybe, to believe in the underdog. I, I know you I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. But Athens, to me, last year was obvious. You had Clay Davis. They had the, just the best roster returning. And Nelson York was losing a bunch. And you just thought, yeah, I, I, this is this has got to be Athens, right? Mm-hmm. And it was. Six for six running clocks. They made the playoffs, lost to Bishop Hartley. I thought they did better in that game than people give them credit for. But now they have to adjust. Now the Bulldogs have to look at what are they going to do this season. And if the things I'm hearing are true, now most of these are seven-on-seven reports, which I think Athens is just going to dominate. If Joey Moore can throw, if Nathan White is more organized than Ryan Adams was and is able to get a productive year out of the offensive and defensive line, if those things happen and the weapons got a year stronger and a year better for Athens, which I almost guaranteed they did, Nate Trainer, Peyton Gale on the outside to add on to a bunch of new names. And, and Joey Moore is as good as he's hyped to be, then Athens probably will win the conference. And I think those first three games, Athens fans are the three games to look at. You go at Waverly, 
home against Jackson, and then at Parkersburg South. And I think those three games are going to be the biggest litmus test for your season. I think the Waverly game, you can win, but you will be an underdog traveling on the road. There's too many question marks for Athens. To think they're going to go in there and beat Waverly and be sure about it, I think is a little rash. Yeah. I really do. I think they're underdogs there, probably three to seven point underdogs. Again, still time to, d- to change these opinions, to develop these thoughts. Home against Jackson, I'm seeing him right now, is probably a two-touchdown underdog. Jackson is heavy favorites in that game. They are very hyped coming into the season. We'll see how much hype holds. But I think Jackson's going to be a real tough game for this Athens team. And then you go to Parkersburg South, which was a tough game for the Bulldogs a season yeah, ago. And South is going to be very good this year. Uh, I spent some time actually in yeah, Williamstown. Yeah, they were junior today. stock yeah. last year. Yeah, Williamstown also, their top running back, transferred out of Williamstown to Parkersburg South. And that could play in a state title game in West Virginia last year as a starter. So just a lot of weapons returning to South. And yeah, if anyone thinks that's going to be an easy game. I, you know, we had a caller last week who you know said the same thing. That could easily be the hardest game on their schedule, perhaps. The Parkersburg South one. So those three games... Three games you will probably be underdogs in. The Parkersburg South might change as you get closer to it, depending on how they do in the first three games. But as of right now, you're an underdog in all three. You go one and two in that stretch is what I expect. I expect them to win one game somewhere. I think Nathan White's a good coach. I think they've got athletes. I think they can win a game. You win a game, one game there, you're about right where I expected, and it depends on how you play in the TVC. And I think the Nelsonville-York-Athens game will end up being a toss-up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If Athens goes 0-3 in that stretch, I think Nelson York becomes a proverbial, proverbial favorite heading into Week 10, and we'll see if Athens can stay alive in the conference for that Week 10 game. That's what will become the question, kind of like with Nelson York last year when they started 0-3 in the non-conference. But if this team starts 2-1, or God willing 3-0, the, the region better watch out. Yeah, if they start out 3-0, and if they start out 3-0, and they might win, probably will win a playoff game. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. If they can beat ja- if they beat this year's Jackson team, the sky's the limit for that program. Yeah, if Athens goes downs Waverly in a tough game on the road, clutch moment from Joey Moore, downs Jackson at home, all the hype, Jackson probably playing a little close to the edges. They really don't like Athens. You come out of that game beat up. Another clutch moment from Joey Moore. Some seniors starting to develop. The line getting better. If you win that game, then you go on the road to West Virginia and pick up the Division One points from Parkersburg South. Beat them as well after your beat up from Jackson. I mean, that's a start. And they'll probably go 10-0. They probably go 10-0. Because if they beat those three teams, unless Nelson York comes out and beats Trimble or something, which I don't really see as we're getting closer then they're going to win the conference, and they're going to win it outright. And then it'll be a question of, oh, can Athens win multiple playoff games? Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are the the realms we're sitting in. We're sitting at Athens either 5-5, and potentially losing to Megs or Wellston or God knows who in the TVC Ohio, to being a team that's 10-0. I mean, that is really within this team's path. That's why they're called question marks. Yeah. Because they're giant, giant questions that we don't know the answers to. But we're going to get the answers in the first three weeks of the season. That's what I love about this Athens schedule this year. Because Athens last year, you didn't get no answers till Parkersburg South. And even then, you weren't sure. This year, we'll know exactly what this Bulldogs team is three weeks into the season. Yeah. At least talent Great scheduling job overall for them. Oh, yeah. I really like it. Balanced schedule. Uh, It's competition. I really wish they'd had this last year, though, when I think the team was a little better. But 
Those are complaints for another day. We'll talk Reds, Indians, Bobcats on the other side of the break. This is the Sports Fan on 970 WATH. From concrete to roofing to siding and windows, J&K Contracting has you covered from the ground up. Whether it's a room addition, a complete home build, or your commercial projects, let the professionals at J&K be of service from groundbreaking to completion. And don't forget they accept all major credit cards. They even have free seamless gutters with every complete roof installation. Don't hesitate to call J&K Contracting at 740-698-3521 for a free estimate. Buy the Reds Pick 6 Plan, presented by McDonald's, and receive an exclusive oversized Joey Votto bobblehead. You can pick any six games, including Fireworks Fridays and Bobblehead Saturdays, while saving up to 25%. Plus, you get six McDonald's Extra Value Meal Vouchers. Be a part of the historic 150th anniversary season by purchasing the Reds Pick 6 Plan. Get yours today at Reds.com slash 150. Looking for a cold beer and a place to cool off? Come take a visit to Mel's Roadhouse, where all are welcome any day of the week. Stop in, kick your feet up, and relax with buckets of beer, a game of pool, and great people. Speaking of pool, try your luck against the other pool sharks in town at the weekly pool tournaments. Or if whaling out of tune is more your game, Mel's even has karaoke nights. Head out to Old 550 for Mel's Roadhouse, a go-to good time. Fairhope celebrates life. If you're facing an end-of-life situation, Fairhope Hospice and Palliative Care. It is never too soon to call. Fairhope is here to listen. You don't have to face it alone. Fairhope cares for your loved one where they live. Or, during times of stress, the Pickering House is a serene setting providing relief for the patient. To learn more about Fairhope's care from the heart, please call 1-800-994-7077. Fairhope Hospice. Some doctors and caregivers tend to... This is the place to fill your gas tank just before you head to or off Route 33. This is the hot spot to fill your bellies with delicious cold cut sandwiches and tantalize your taste buds with hot and tasty six-inch foot-long subs. This is the super spot which offers drive-through service of pop, chips, candy, beer, water, and much more. This is the best kept secret in Athens County. Until now, this is City Limits Valero. Visit them at 235 Columbus Road in Athens, open seven days a week. And remember, why just drive by? When you can drive through. You're listening to 970 WATH and the Sports Fan. Yes, sir. It's the fan. We got Tyler Corbett in studio. I'm Lucas Moore. Just talked high school football. First 20 minutes of the show. First 14. It's 606 to 620. First 14 minutes of the show. All high school football. Good math. Yeah. Well, I did from 6 to 20. That's why I said 20 minutes. But we don't start at 6. Well, we'll forgive you this time. We start at 6.06. Yeah. I guess you'll have to forgive me. Um, Do you forgive the Indians for trading Trevor Bauer? I think that's a perfect place to start um, this segment. You're an Indians fan. I'm a Reds fan. Reds acquired Trevor Bauer. 
right at the trade deadline. And as a Reds fan, I like the move. Gives them a year and a half of a really good starter that I think they'll be able to extend. Um, Builds the top of their rotation up. Allows the back end to be filled in with prospects. Some might rise um, to the level that you can have a solid four-man playoff rotation. I think that's what the Reds have a possibility sitting at right now. Uh, They've got a lot of good arms now in the starting rotation. The Reds have a lot of solid bats. They've got a lot of good young players. I like the position the Reds are in, especially after this trade and giving up Taylor Trammell, a guy who just has been struggling a little bit this season, not has not been good in the minors as the Reds thought he'd be. I like the trade for the Reds. How about from an Indians perspective? Yeah, I do think it's a rare win-win trade. I like what the Indians got out of it because at the end of the day, uh, assuming, oh, I mean, it's a mistake to assume, but if the Indians are playing in the postseason, the biggest issue the past few years has been bats. And even if it's just a loan of Yasiel Puig, uh, he, assuming he can improve his performance, he's a bat that'll be necessary come October. And I think the Indians have a strong enough rotation without Bauer if Kluber comes back, when Salazar's at full health, that the Indians will be just fine. I think there's a real chance the Reds sign Yasiel Puig again. I think he might come back, which would be very nice, especially if you guys don't win the World Series. Thank you. We'll take that. So he gave up literally just Taylor Trammell for Trevor Bauer, which would be a really good trade for the Reds. Mm-hmm. Do you not like the Reds? What, what's your I'm feeling against on the, the Reds. Reds. I mean, there's really, it's not like, a, I don't have this Yankees level disdain for the Reds that I just, I don't I think any Indians fans really do. No, because it's never, it isn't a rivalry that we were groomed on and raised upon. And then furthermore, Cincinnati and Cleveland are four and a half hours away from, from each other. It's hard yeah. to really make that a rivalry, especially when it's only interleague play. Yeah, and, and they've never played in the World Series, uh, which would be really cool. Uh, I, I it's, The windows don't look like they're matching up for any time soon. Um, it'd have to be probably next year, Yeah, I think, really would if, have to. If, if it wanted to be Reds and Indians, which I guess theoretically possible. My thing is, if the Reds were in the AL Central and they got to play the Tigers and the teams at the bottom part of that division, the White Sox, I think the Reds would be about eight wins better, putting them at about 60 wins, which would put them in the division race with the Twins and the Indians. I think that's how talented the Reds are. They're just in a really, really tough division. And what I've been saying all season long with this Red squad is is that they're talented. But in this game, you need runs. In this game, you need 5 to 15 consecutive wins, and you need to be able to string them together. If you don't have that type of win streak, you better be winning two out of three every single series pretty consistently where you're just overall, you're winning eight out of 10, eight out of 10, seven out of 10. But most teams aren't that in the sport of baseball. Most teams are right down the middle 500 for a big portion of the year. The great teams go on winning streaks. The teams that make the playoffs go on winning streaks. The teams that are from 500 to the wild card, the difference between those two teams normally is some sort of consistent stretch of winning. And the reason that the Reds have not been able to gain any real traction, why they've just been hanging on, it's not because of a lack of talent. I think the talent's there. I think they win a lot of the games they're supposed to win. The problem is they are stacked in one of the toughest divisions in baseball from top to bottom with the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and Pirates. That means every single time the Reds have the opportunity to build momentum, every single time they have the opportunity to build momentum, they have been stopped by a division rival. They played a division rival. We saw that heading into the All-Star break. We saw that near the end of the month of July when the Cardinals stuck them with a few losses and the Cubs got them with a few losses. You just couldn't gain that traction 
and you just couldn't gain that momentum. But there is one gap. There is one hole for the Cincinnati Reds. August 12th through the 29th. Here's who the Reds play. Nationals, Cardinals, Padres, Pirates, Marlins. So that's not the easiest five series in the world. But if you get through the Nationals and Cardinals... You get to play the Marlins. You get to play the Marlins. You get to play the Padres and the Pirates. Two teams you're better than, right? One team that fights you. One team that fights you, but you'll get over that. That's the hole. That's the gap. Can the Reds, over that 17-game stretch, push into the division race? Push into the wild card spot? If they can do that, there's reasons to get excited. But to me, I'm excited either way. Because the fact that I get to say this, the fact that they've hung around long enough, the fact that they've stayed in it long enough to say, hey, if they have a 13-4, and 14-3, slash 10-game winning streak from August 12th to the 29th, they might make the playoffs. And the fact that that's even a possibility for the Reds is just so much different from what we've experienced over the past few years. It's exciting for me. It's exciting to finally see them compete in August. I get to see competitive games in the month of August, and I might get to see competitive games in the month of September. They'll have to make up some ground for that to happen. But, hey, important games in August as a Reds fan, have not seen that in literally five seasons. You sound like Browns fans last year. Yeah, but there weren't any important games late. Yeah, there were. The Browns were, what, 6-8? and eight. There was some weird 6-7-1. and one. There was a weird universe where a bunch of ties happened, and everyone's like, no, I believe that. No, but, like, nobody actually believes. Like, there is a... A little bit of belief. Okay. How many teams from 7.5 back at this point in the season have come back and won divisions? Numerous. Yeah. How many teams have come back 5.5 down in the wild card like the Reds are and won the wild card? Countless. And how many times have a team in week 17 sitting at six and or whatever they were, six, eight, and one? Well, I don't, I don't remember. And all those tiebreakers happen and the Browns make the playoffs. That, that wasn't real. You fired your coach halfway through the season. This Browns thing, this getting excited late in the season, like, yes, you guys were good, but I've seen late season runs before. They happen. You got to come back and do it next year. You changed your coach too. So where does that momentum go? Like there, there's a lot of questions there. I don't think that the Reds are like Browns fans right now. I think it's a little different. Browns are about to have the season the Reds are, which I think is really exciting. A lot of really good players, a lot of noise, a lot of tickets sold, hope for the future, and probably a poor manager. David Bell's done a great job this year, and I don't think Freddie Kitchens is going to do a good job this year. We'll keep them around 500, and they'll compete for the playoffs late, and you'll see an important game in December. You will see an important Browns game in December this year, Tyler. How does that feel? Sounds great. That's Sounds what I've been great, dreaming right? of since 07. Even if it's just one. That first game in December, you know, hey, they win this, they can make the playoffs. Right? And I think that Browns fans should really be happy with that. And Reds fans should really be happy with where they're at. And I get the expectation is championships, and I've said that so many times in this show, especially about the Bobcats. But it's not always about championships, because sometimes it's really not realistic or fair. And the fact that Browns are putting Super Bowl labels on this team when as a franchise you haven't made the playoffs in 16 seasons, it's ridiculous. It's going to put undue pressure on a team. And it could really collapse the whole thing from the outside in. And This is the type of team that is susceptible from collapsing from the outside in, from pressure, from media, from attention, from the news, from the headlines. This is definitely the type of team that could succumb to that 
and the Browns fans are feeding right into it. Yeah, they're dominating the headlines because they're getting mad that people are dominating the headlines. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a whole circle of a Browns player isn't even something they do questionable. They just do something that people talk about. Then someone has a negative opinion. Then all Browns fans get riled up because somebody dares question what Baker Mayfield did. And then everyone realizes, I get a lot of views, a lot of clicks when I get Baker Mayfield's name on my show. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep numbers high. Yeah, and and they're mad. But, like, there's nothing I would like more than for Baker Mayfield to fall directly on his face this season and just embarrass himself. I really would like to see that. I don't like his attitude. I think he's he hasn't smug. fallen directly on his face since 2017 outside of a bar in Arkansas. No, exactly. And he didn't really fall on his face. He kind of really hit that curb hard um, running from the police. Zero elusiveness. Yeah. And like, you know, I really just all this stuff. I'll probably meet Baker one day and think he's a great guy and, you know, love having conversations with him. But I, I can think that I would love to hang out with people and not think and think they shouldn't leave my football team like you, Tyler. God, I love you, brother. I love hanging out with you. But if someone asked me, if you had the skill set of Baker Mayfield, the the skill set, the arm, everything, and somebody looked at me and was like, "Would you want Tyler Corbett as the as the franchise quarterback?" I would say, "Hell no, <laughs> I would definitely not want that." Right? So I can say that, yeah, you're a great guy. That's great. You're a great person. That's fun. You're fun to be around. That's great. But are you the leader of a multi-billion-dollar corporation? And and right now, at least, I wouldn't hire you for that position. I got time to grow, just like Baker does. <laughs> just like Baker does. But Baker's running it now, and he's seen as the leader of this team. And you know, all this yelling at OBJ and Jarvis—it's great if he makes all his throws. You really think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to take it from a second-year player, Baker Mayfield, who had to walk on? Because that, that still matters, right? Oh, to us, to fans, oh, he's a walk-on, right? Oh, that's a great story. To players, to a lot of players, especially elite players, bro, you're just a walk-on. You're nothing. I've been elite since I was 13, right? That's a real attitude. Yeah, Baker's the number one overall pick. OBJ is not. That's true. That is true. That's another argument for the other side. But how is Odell Beckham Jr. going to look at it, right? That's what's important. So Odell Beckham Jr., if he's going to get reamed out by Baker Mayfield in his sophomore season, what's going to happen when Baker misses a throw? Is Odell going to go ream out Baker? Like, seriously. Th- these there's are a all... kicking net around, someone else, <laughs> someone else takes the hit. And you guys are rolling over. Like, you guys were fine at wide receiver. Like, the, you added Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham. Those are the two things that have gotten people over the moon, Super Bowl excited about the Browns. And those are two players at replaceable positions who aren't going to affect the win total more than by one at most, right? Yeah. If Kareem Hunt affects the Browns' win total by more than one, that's astonishing. Running backs don't do that. Wide receivers don't do that either. So you added two things to a position you're already pretty good at. Your offensive line's pretty good. I love it. Defensive line, great. There's talent all over the place. They should win 12 games talent-wise. But it's not a perfect roster. It's It's not the best roster in the NFL. It's not balanced. And in today's NFL, quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Yes. Running backs and receivers just don't. They no. have a wide receivers never carried a team to a title. And mm. it would be insanely fun to watch it happen for the first time. But that's just Yeah. That's it, a dream it's gonna be it's gonna be on the, the shoulders of Baker. If Baker is an elite quarterback, they could win Super Bowls, then he'll carry him and then they'll win a damn Super Bowl. But I don't think he's that. 
I think it's ridiculous to even claim that he is that. I mean, I know that he threw 28 touchdowns his rookie season, but go look at the numbers last year for everybody. It was an inflated year, especially early. There were a bunch of new schemes, new quarterbacks. Defenses were on their back heels. Coaches have not adjusted to the new NFL, especially tackling and how to teach tackling in the offseason. All the defensive coaches will have adjusted this year. Points per game should go down early in the season. That doesn't play well into Baker Mayfield's hands. And I mentioned this. The cold weather might not be the best for the Cleveland Browns. Undersized quarterback. Receivers and running backs being the highlight of their offense. Is that necessarily the best cold weather? Especially when the highlight running back, Kareem Hunt, although I think Nick Chubb might be better. Uh, it's a for another better. day. But Kareem Hunt isn't better in the cold than Nick Chubb. So, And you play in the AFC North. So, so there's Kareem Hunt played his college ball at Toledo. Nick Chubb played in Georgia. But Nick Chubb's style fits the cold weather. I see where you're coming from. Right. I think at the end of the day, both of them will be good enough cold-weather running backs that it won't be a big-time debate. Yeah, and I don't think the cold—I think the cold-weather thing will just be the excuse when they're unable to execute in games late in the season because they're a young team, coached by an inexperienced head coach. This is where I think this will head. Mm-hmm. I think they lose games late in November, late in December, that they probably shouldn't lose because they weren't ready. Yeah. And I think that they'll lose games early in the season because the expectations are too high. And it's really not easy for a new head coach to get off to a hot start. Yeah. I'll get to the end of this year, no matter what happens, by convincing myself the window hasn't started yet. And that's what you got to do. It might not have started. Like, seriously, I just think this Browns Super Bowl talk is insane. Speaking of the Browns, they signed A.J. Olette. That might win in the Super Bowl. I'd like to see that. I would like to see that, too. If A.J.'s on that roster, go Brownies. Go Brownies. This has been the Sports Fan on 970. WATH for Tyler Corbin. I'm Lucas Moore. See you guys next time.